Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. Jason, you're back from hiding behind in the corner <laughs> i'm still in the corner but i'm not hiding that's that's true we just turned the microphone and no one is here and can see but we just turned the microphone and did there <laughs> um so i we say this every time but this was another banger it was right? a pretty good story yeah matt's matt's story was awesome um i loved i relate to him kindred spirit wise and just his candor high energy guy i'm like yeah dude you're my kind of people and in fact we after recording it we had a whole a uh, passionate conversation about the twelve step, yeah. which actually that was the inspiration it for us to, to do the twelve, which we posted before his story. Yeah. So we kind of did it backwards, but um, so that's kind of where. I, so I, you know, I loved his heart that way. I think it was just so cool to see, you know, how he's come alive. Well, what what really struck me was like he keeps talking about um, it, part of his recovery was serving his wife and 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 being there for others with like no expectation or no controlling of the outcome, which is so different from so many addicts where, you know, we serve as a way to control the outcome, right? Like mm-hmm. we serve because we want to feel better about ourselves. Oh, that's me to the team. Yeah, those. Well, I mean, you're looking at them, right? Um, but Matt was just so honest about like, no, I, I was serving her because I just, I wanted to be there for her. I wanted to feel that love and feel, feel that she mattered. No, it was a great example of just, yeah, battling for her heart to use the wild the heart words yeah. and um just showing up even yeah, in the midst up. of his addiction like he was he yeah was yeah well and i loved that. and i loved how he cuz a lot of guys i feel like don't understand how they got here they're like whoa why am i doing all this messed up stuff and he really had some great dialogue around just the trauma he experienced and family relationships and how that's playing out today and how he's battling for some of those relationships but has found better boundaries now than he had before um, cause I relate to him in that part of my story of trying to understand like, Hey, I've got some messed up family. How do I, how do I navigate that? Like, I can't just cut them off and hide, but then like, I can't be as enmeshed as I've been. Like, how do I do that? So I loved that part of his story too. Yeah. I mean, okay. he, he, uh, he talked about this off mic a little bit, but just, uh, the fact that some of his family members have some trauma obviously as well from the same source and how he's like you said, currently battling for their hearts and things. And I thought yeah. that was really admirable. No, I mean, a lot of cool things that come out of story. We hope you take an opportunity to listen to the whole thing, you know, as we always do. Um, again, if you have a addiction recovery story, send us an email. We'd love to hear about it. Love to have you come on and share. Um, you can follow us on social media, unashamed at Unashamed Unafraid, Facebook, Instagram. Um, and uh, with that, we'll just, uh, we'll jump in the studio with Matt. Matt, thanks for being here, man. Glad to be here. So I'm I'm gonna give uh, Matt a, a big shout out. Of what people don't know is so we were originally scheduled to uh, do this another time. Had to reschedule, and then again we had something come up. And so normally we record these at like 
reasonably normal people hours. So we're recording this like way late on random weeknight. Um, so man, I just appreciate you being a trooper and, and willing to do get here late and, and be there. And uh, I'm also excited to have Jason, um, who we like don't thank Jason enough for like <laughs> literally changing the game here at Unashamed Unafraid. And and we have he is now on the other side of the microphone, uh, co-hosting with me. Super excited! So, um, lo- always love his his perspective and feedback. I I'm excited for the whole, for everyone else to get it because I I get all of his comments offline about all of our our podcasts. It's so helpful to me. So I'm excited for him to be here and just share kind of some of his insights with us. So, um, Matt, I, I'm sure you've listened before. You kind of know how we do this. So. Um, you know, to start, just tell us what was life like growing up, difficulties in family life? How did you first get exposed to, you know, pornography, sexual stuff? Where do, where does this whole story start? Yeah, thank you. And thanks for having me tonight. Um, I'm in my third year of recovery, and it's been good to review what you've just talked about, like the origin of all this. And um, my mother and father lost and buried four children before I was born. Oh, man. And uh, one of them was four years old, two others died the day they were born, and one was a stillborn. And that doesn't land on, you know, a kid, just you watch your mom cry like every night. And there was always these secrets, and I never really understood it. And I was always embarrassed, you know, because she missed a ton of church, and she always had a migraine or something, and I was always protecting her and insulating her. And um, my dad struggled a lot. And I was very angry with my dad for most of my, you know, childhood, thinking that he was some idiot, not realizing that he also lost four kids. And uh, that created a lot of stress. My parents fought every night, like screaming every night. So uh, I had a rocky childhood from that perspective. Um, I had incredible uh, So friends. I got to make the inference, your only child? Uh, I have three siblings. Oh, okay. They you're, are still struggling. You're the oldest? I'm the oldest alive. Of, okay. And then there's the three. Alive. Okay. Yeah. And so, anyway, um, had a pretty great childhood for the most part. I was introduced to pornography uh, at the age of 12 in junior high. Uh, my friend, uh, just a different set of morals. His family actually celebrated pornography, and they had Playboys everywhere. Oof. Everywhere. So we went to his house a lot. Yeah. And uh, we had he had VHS. He had everything. And... Uh, Quick, quick question. Uh, raised in the church, through Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints? I, yeah, I was raised in it, but very inactive. Okay. Uh, they were sealed in the temple, and that was it. Uh, go to church here and there, Christmas. So, CD club. Was that confusing for you, having that around you? Or? Actually, um, I was very interested in the gospel, very, uh, but I knew nothing about it. People started talking about Alma, and I'm like, who's that? You know? Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, when pornography came in, it was very easy. It was uh, masturbation immediately followed and uh, lied about it the whole time. And um, I didn't see it as, like, disastrous at the time. It just was a lot of fun. And um, I was interested to see how much his family celebrated it. His dad had a subscription. His mom bought it for him, right? And uh, Or his wife bought it for the father, and the mom bought it for the son. And I was like, oh, okay. And uh, my buddies next door were super into it, and... Um, you know, I was like, guys, like, I'm not supposed to do this. And they're like, ah, you know, and I'm like, you're right, let's do it, you know. And Well, and that's where you're finding acceptance, right? Totally. With these friends. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's already, you know, the exposure as a young kid is already confusing because it's like part of this feels really good, 
But yeah. then, like, I know this is wrong, but then I've got all these other, you know, a lot of people, it's, it's a, a, it's an individual exposure, right? Sure. So for me, I'm alone in a room with a computer the first time I'm really exposed. Yeah. For a lot of people, that's it. But with the friends being there, I mean, geez, man, that's, yeah. that's where you're getting acceptance, right? Oh, yeah. And um, I knew it was wrong. Like, the, I, I knew it was wrong. And, um, but I, I didn't like repent. I didn't really do anything about it. And, um, in my mind really skewed relationships from that point forward. I assumed girls wanted dirty, nasty things and me to do this. And because I'm this way, you're going to be happier. And it was the the porn education. Absolutely. Yeah. The the pornification of my, you know, culture in my head. And, uh, my first girlfriend um, that I was intimate with, uh, we went right, immediately went right to it. It's really sad because I, I later learned how much like trauma she had in her life. And while I didn't really have trauma that I thought I had, it was interesting to see my folks as, like, my dad has daddy issues. My dad's adopted. My mom was molested. And it's interesting to see this chain, you know, and none of that landed on me as a kid, but it was real. It was happening. And so... I didn't have a love foundation at home. Um, I was dad for most of it. I was mom for most of it. I cooked many meals, and I was always protecting everybody, you know, and that's how I coped, and I I looked forward to it, like absolutely looked forward to it. That's a lot, though. I mean, that's a lot. I mean, maybe you can't point to, like, trauma capital T. Like, my dad beat me obvious trauma, right? Yeah, that didn't happen. But when you string all those little experiences together... That's yeah. a big deal. Like all of those add up yeah. to that same, you know, the real difficulty. So I, I wouldn't say that you had it so much easier than anyone else or whatever. I mean, I I feel empathy for you just hearing your story right now, right? <laughs> I mean, Jason, that's yeah, absolutely. I think where I'm going with it is um, now that I'm a father, and uh, a lot of my family members have judged my family, my mom and my dad. Oh, like, uh-huh. she's crazy. Yeah, what's wrong with her and um, I understand now, you know, but it still didn't change that my mom was absent and who can blame her? So T- totally that that's where the real trauma came from. It's not, you know, it's not that they ignored you necessarily. No. It's just that there was always something else there, right? That was yeah. re- re- maybe replacing you or I, yeah. I don't know how else you want to put it. Right. But to this day, she still calls me and I just hear tears on the other end and I'm like, let it out. You're safe. Well, mom. and I and I think it's important for people to understand. It took me a while to get this way with my parents. Um, is both stories can be true. You know, I had my dad at one point in time write me a letter as an adult. This was a couple of years ago when I was in recovery, and he was like, "I'm sorry, I couldn't show up for you." And he kind of talked about why. And I remember receiving that letter and other experience I've had with my parents, like, like with your mom, like you're like, I understand their story. And, like, I can have empathy for them. Totally. That's true. The other part that's true is that sucks for you as a kid, and you freaking got ripped off. And so, to me, I always thought I had to be in one place or the other. I either got to be mad at my parents, pissed off that I got ripped off, or I have to have total empathy for them and my feelings don't matter. Yeah. And I think the truth is both can be true. Right. Right? Yeah. It it affected me. There's no question. It absolutely did. I didn't feel safe, um, especially with all the fighting. The divorce threats were 
it must be Tuesday. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And oh. and seeing a healthy marriage like 15 feet from our home, you know, you're like, oh, like you guys don't fight. Like you're not screaming at each other. Like, I don't understand. You know? Yeah. It just doesn't compute. You're having a happy anniversary, you know? And they're like, well, well, yeah. And I'm like, interesting, you know? And I didn't know what a healthy relationship was. And the pornography just like extended it. Like we scream at each other, we do dirty things. And yeah. And that's what women want, yeah. you know? And what a lie, right? Yeah. So that was what led to it. And, um, yeah, everything I did was how can I have sex? How can I touch women? How can I? It wasn't if, it was absolutely how. And they want it. That's what will make them happy. And being in sports and having... That's our bell of the denial statement, Yeah, right? That's we always highlight that with people. Like that's Matt doesn't really believe that. He yeah. knows it was wrong, just in case you missed it. Yeah, keep going. So anyway, um, and then, you know, uh, you're 16, you're dating a beautiful girl, and all of a sudden she gets pregnant, and you're like, I'm going to be a father. It was really disappointing, and that hurt. I definitely felt alone, like really alone. Um, and then once I moved in with my girlfriend, learning about all of her trauma, and she'd been raped and raped and molested, and mm. people would say, like, well, she put herself in that situation. Like, she doesn't know what good is, you know? And that is her only outreach for affection or love. Yeah. And she's got – she's messed up. That's not her fault, like – and so yeah, that abuse is not her fault. No. Yeah. And she's still struggling. We divorced like eight minutes later and she was having an affair with her boss. And, um, it's just sad, you know, and, but we had a beautiful little girl and that little girl has had some problems as a result. And so the chain of abuse, um, it has such a ripple effect mm. anyway. Yeah. That's yeah, well, kind of the, the origin story. Yeah, well, will. and Terry Real, um, prominent therapist, shares that, that he says a, a trauma that happens in the family, um, it will take three generations for the effects of that trauma to, to like, not affect anyone anymore. And that's not if the trauma pattern continues. continues. Yeah, that's just perpetual. from that, you know, so it's like if abuse happened... That will affect three generations, even if the abuse doesn't happen in generation two and three. Just yeah. the abuse from the first one, and then you think how much of it gets perpetuated, and yeah. and yeah. And I love that you're highlighting this part because so often I think people see you know big addicts, right? You know, sexualized like why why can't you just get fixed? Why can't you do better? How you dialogued about your high school girlfriend? It's like well that that girl's just messed up and she's asking for it. It's like man, if you knew the story, yeah. you would never put that type of judgment on that person. Yeah, right. I remember a, a friend of mine's like he said she's weird, and I was like, interesting assessment, right? Yeah, it, you don't know. But yeah, that's yeah. Let's keep following the story here, right? So so you you're in high school, girlfriend's pregnant, get married, she's cheating. The whole thing, like say eight seconds later, just wasn't going to work out. So you get divorced, you graduate from high school, mm-hmm. and what's next? What what did the height of addiction look like for you? Like, where did this all go? So uh, all of a sudden I was faced with, I'm a dad, right? And everyone I know has told me how impossible my next step is. And I was like, you know what? Like, nothing is impossible because, like, I've just decided it's not. And... As soon as I started doing it, like I go to college and I'm like, this isn't that hard, you know, and I'm working full time and I was able to get a job with Disney and like following my dream that way. And so I met my wife uh, while working at Disney and um, she and my daughter like instantly clicked 
and uh, our friendship grew, and um, the pornography waned for the first time, you know, and I, like, forgot about it. And I just loved talking to her. I loved listening to her, and she loved listening to me. And then we got married, and it was beautiful. Uh, we had a, 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 just a big celebration, and I felt like I was winning. And uh, the relationship she had with her father was an incredible example to me. My best friend's parents, uh, you know, Jim was just this amazing man, pillar in the community, and had obvious struggles and had worked through them. And so I had these incredible examples, and I felt like life was starting to get good. And then you get married, and all of a sudden you're being intimate immediately, and it activated everything. And immediately jumped back into pornography, um, just out of, like, being sexual again. And uh, probably a year into our marriage, she walked in on me. You know, and uh, I was so ashamed, so ashamed. And she was so like, oh, my gosh, how do I help you? You know, and I'm like, "Ugh, don't be nice. You know, know? tell me I have to sleep on the couch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I still had no concept of what was happening in my life. I was like, oh, shoot, I should go talk to the bishop. Let me go do that real quick. And great bishop. um, And uh, there was no ARP. There was none of that. And uh, within months, right back at it. And lying, lying a- ARP. I, I was just clear up. Um, is the is the LDS Church's essay right? It's the adoption of yeah. the of the twelve the steps addiction of recovery AA. program. So yeah. addiction recovery program is that acronym. Yeah. So just they they do it within the church. A lot of churches do it and call it different things. Yeah. They'll call it AA or whatever. But that's they've they've adopted that title. But it's twelve steps. Okay. So I still like at this point I have no concept of the gravity. Of my addiction. Sure. Not in the slightest, other than stop. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Well, it's not an addiction. It's just a a little problem you have. That's exactly how I viewed it. And um, go to church, you know, go to the temple, don't really know what's going on. At this point, I still don't really have a relationship with my Savior. And I I would come to learn some of the lessons later, which I'll get to. But uh, I love my wife. We were, you know, planning on a family. And she's very involved in my daughter's life. And we're finishing school. And work's going really well. And... It just seemed like this thing that was off to the side, and so we could just move forward, you know, and and we did. And then I just kept lying and uh, was like, how can I lie better? And it, I never intended to hurt my wife in the way that I would now about to. And this is where things went real wrong. So uh, now I'm two or three times a day at minimum, um, sometimes four or five. Any chance I got to be alone, I would go right to it. And um, I started exploring emotional relationships with other women. And one in particular uh, was like the girl that got away kind of thing. And uh, she started expressing how she felt. And we didn't do anything about it at first. And then we ended up having classes together. And we were winning awards together. And really unhealthy relationship with this person. And we started messing around. And uh, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, cool. Like I'm having an extramarital relationship. And ended it and didn't think I needed to tell anybody because we never actually did anything. It was mostly just messing around and was like, oh, I'm fine, fine. Just, yep. you know, just go take the sacrament and not yep. tell anybody. And, you know, just the lies. Justify, start over. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And um, so I really hurt this person um, and didn't tell my wife about it. She just did, was uncomfortable when she was around. And, you know, because we'd be up on the podium receiving awards and laughing and, you know, it 
It was obvious there was more. Yeah, than your wife knew. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and and we always say that that the wife's always like trust your gut, and you know, I mean, I, I was talking to a woman earlier today, and she's like, everyone tells me I'm crazy, and her, you know, her husband manipulating her tells her she's crazy, and I'm like, I want to tell all women everywhere, you're never crazy. Yeah. When your gut feels things going off, that's like the spirit telling you something's off. And she didn't want to believe yeah. it. Of course, yeah. Right, and that's, yeah, that's why common. They, and she's super new. And so anyway, that relationship ended and then um, ended up getting a different job and um, had a, a great boss that I got along with, but immediately in an emotional affair, right? Right back into uh, pornography. And then that relationship uh, got physical mm-hmm. and went on for about a year and uh, was absolutely ready to divorce my wife. And I'm obviously not supporting you, taking care of you. Um, and my wife uh, found out about it, you know, called me out on it. And I'm like, we're done. You know, thanks for calling me out, but see you later. And she kept trying to save us. And I was so, it's interesting being on this side of it now, but um, how blind I was to the amount of love that she had for me and for the future us and our future family that hadn't come yet. She received. She later told me that the amount of promptings she received about us and why, why us. I was so embarrassed, you know. And I broke that relationship off, and we made another go at it. Can I? Can I just? I mean, you would have felt that too, right? If you hadn't been so numb to it, right? Oh my gosh! Uh, I don't think to that point I had ever felt the spirit in the way I can define it now. And so still not really landing, um, about that. And, uh, my wife and I started reading the scriptures together at night and I'm like, okay, like, let's go check that box. And as we're getting through it, we're getting into Moroni and she gets bronchitis and, um, I know she's still hurting and still trying to put on a good game face and, um, totally forgave me. Like as if it didn't happen, you know, just swept it under the rug, like everything's fine. And, so reading it, and I don't have a testimony. Like, I like the church a lot. Super cool. Um, but I'm reading, and because she can't read, she's like, will you read for me? You know? And in reading that, something clicked. Something landed. And I, I just heard the two words that, I'm here. You know? And I'm like, who? Right? And, and he's just like, I'm here. And I knew who it was. And um, I was like, okay. Where are the... Have you been? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Yep. Um, what is this? And what's that? And none of this makes sense. And I'm, I'm mad at you, you know? And um, so I was listening and uh, started listening. And so uh, what started from that point became a true, like, I want to learn the gospel. I want to learn all these things. This and is it, where you really start on your journey and having a personal yeah. relationship with well, God. Well, sort of. So... At this point, I own a small business, and things are going well, and I'm a CEO, or whatever the heck that means, and I've got employees, and I'm traveling, and, and now I'm traveling. Introduce all new kinds of temptations right back in it, you know, and now I'm at my height, and I'm looking at really hardcore stuff. It is escalating. Height meaning height of your addiction. Height of my addiction. In your life, okay. And an old flame reaches out to me, the old flame from, from work and school. And I uh, was just like, hey, hi, you know, and I'm like, what's up, you know, and, and uh, my wife found out again, again. So this is affair number two, addiction catch number 783. And she still didn't leave. Well. Right. And so I said, I'll end it. 
I'm sorry, right? The addiction is driving this, blah, blah, blah. She's like, Did you, you label it as an addiction at that point? Um, I, it was an excuse, for sure. Straight up yeah. lie. And uh, I still had no gravity of any a concept of this horrifying, terrifying thing that I've done. Well, well, why would you, though? I mean, there's been no consequences, right? I absolutely agree with that, and I'm about to get to that. And so <laughs> um, I ended it. And I uh, was still talking to her, like, occasionally, and um, my wife found some communication. She handed me my phone, and she said, you will never hurt me again. Get out. And I did. And that's, that was when the first consequence landed. I was not welcome in my home. I have four kids at this point, two teenagers, and that was the best Best thing that ever happened to me, and the worst. Um, I remember having to go back to my office and and sleep on my couch. And I've never felt a pain like that ever. And it, I, for my from my perspective, it was the first time that I became aware of my nothingness. And so, met with the bishop, told him, and he said, "I need you to understand what's about to happen." And he, this guy was rough, and he was perfect. And he went to town on me, and he's like, I can't believe you hurt that perfect woman. And I was like, you're right. And he's like, I'm not going to make this easy for you. And I'm like, please don't. But going to my home that I was not welcome in was, I can't describe it to you. Um, I've been able to process it, so I'm beyond tears right now. But my wife and I love to watch movies and Harry Potter and all these things. And the idea of, of never of never being welcome in my home again with my family was the worst feeling I have ever had. And that was the night that I went to war with myself. Um, A cousin let me stay at his home. And uh, the odd thing was is how welcoming family was. And I'm like, you shouldn't welcome me. I'm a monster. Like straight up, guys. I am a monster. I have destroyed the heart of the woman I love. I have destroyed the sanctity of well, my you've family. Well, you've bought the shame at this point. Yeah, I'm all in. a shame message there, Steve? Yeah. yeah. Bang! That's but what I accepted it. Like, yeah. I, I completely wrapped my arms around it, and I, for the first time, really, really landed on what I've become. Yeah, and the adversary's like, here you go, here's your name tag, and you're like, yep, stick it on. Totally. Yeah. And I welcomed it, and, yeah. and I absolutely... And so... Well, as you talk about that dialogue with that bishop, right, mm-hmm. that um, I, I think the tough love part's really good. I think it sounds like maybe he was a little bit shaming. That part probably wasn't good. But the fact that you felt so good about it. I think he understood me. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And he knew that I needed to be called out. Yeah. He, call, he saw right through my BS and what an excellent liar I was. That's awesome. And I'm very good. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And... um. To have someone to see right through it, I knew he had the spirit with him to be able to see through all of it. And he was exactly what I needed, not what I wanted, what I needed. Yeah. Well, a blessing that he would act on that, right? Yeah. Because that probably wasn't that comfortable for him, right? No. I was, he got called to be a bishop like a week before I come in the office. I swear, I swear that's how it always happens. <laughs> and he's like, thanks. Uh, you're my first. And I'm like, cool. And 
So then there's... <laughs> I just feel bad for these guys. Man, I mean, that's... Dude, a, gotta, I'm like... Gotta be grateful the Spirit was working with him, right? Yeah. I, I just, like, when a lot of people are very critical of, of church leaders or pastors or whatever, I just would be like, dude, you just... These guys' lives, like, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't envy it. I, don't, I mean, that was my neighbor got called as bishop. Yeah. So I, I'm recent, you know, I'm excommunicated. It had been excommunicated for, like, a couple months. He gets called as bishop. So we're, like, starting in the front yard. I'm like, dude, it's cool that you're bishop. I'm, I'm going to be one of those people you meet with all the time. He's like, oh, <laughs> and I'm like... Oh no, I'm not kidding. Like I, I'm like I'll I'm like in the that. top five. Like the state president's gonna ask you about me. Like that's yeah. that's a thing. So we'll yeah. see. So yeah, just yeah. I mean, heart. It's a tough deal, but I mean, that's awesome that he showed up for you in the way that he needed to. Yeah, and um, he's a dear friend of mine. That's my cool. gratitude for him at this point is three and a half years of recovery with him. He has been nothing short of a miracle, and so so this moment is three and a half years ago. Three and a half years ago. Okay, wife's out. See yeah. you later. Yep. Good luck. And, uh, okay, you deserve better. Agreed. Yeah. Let's get divorced, right? And yeah. so um, I threw myself in, both feet, the whole body, my head into ARP. Watching those videos, my life's uncontrollable, um, wanting to turn my will over to God, going through the first time, I did everything. The awareness of my misunderstanding of what a husband is what a father is, what a son is. All of these things are landing, really, for the first time. Step four, I was all in. I threw everything I had at it because I knew that, like, my marriage is over, but I'm not done. So just for reference here, let's talk about what step four means. So step for four those who are not your, familiar with the 12-step program. Yeah, so step one, you uh, admit to you and yourself that... Uh, You're you, powerless yep. to overcome this addiction on your own. Yeah, and... Step two, you're kind of willing to change. Step three, turn your will to God. And that's a huge step. And, and But step four, the moral inventory. Uh, that night I bought a journal and I filled it. From cover to cover, filled it. I felt very grateful for me that everything that I did came to my mind that night. And I was awake. I was like from 11 p.m. until 8 a.m. the next morning just writing, writing. And I took it to my sponsor um, who was actually my business partner at the time, learned that he was struggling too. And uh, I just sat there while he read it for like an hour and a half, just watching him read it. Uh, He just stood up and hugged me. Wow. And he said, there's nothing in here that I haven't done or thought about myself. And I saw God's love through him, and I felt it. And I was like, okay, like, I'm okay. And I drove up the canyon that night, and I put my journal in a fire pit, and I watched my sins become white as snow. Well, maybe maybe for the first time you felt that release of that shame, like, dude, somebody understands me. Yeah, and the addiction recovery program is filled with men who are coming in terms of this and realizing that, that I had the most egregious sins and um, I had no hope at all that I was going to have a family again, zero and okay with it because I deserved it. And that's like placing that shame. And yeah. So how did you move the, uh, the question I want to ask you like at this injuncture is how did you move from that place of shame to action? Cause, cause shame is so, you know, I mean, I understand the dialogue and can relate to it when you're like, 
oh yeah, we should get divorced. I am this bad person, right? You're, you're putting the name tag on and you're there, you get it. You're all in. And I, I guess just for me and a lot of, you know, the acts I've talked to that, that shame is so demoralizing. You're so hopeless. Like to find the faith, the effort, the energy to move to any type of action. Yeah. And I, and I know you already had this pattern in your life, right? With your mm-hmm. childhood and stuff and right with the, with the, you know, having a kid in high school and being like, oh no, I will do the impossible. So is it that same, like, I'll do the impossible or, or were you doing it because you felt like you had to, you know, prove it to your, who you thought was going to be your ex-wife or do, like, like what was it that like in that bottoming out kind of shame moment, like what happened that made you choose action i knew that i didn't have the answer and everything i tried was a monumental failure and got worse and that's that's when i understood at the at a topical level like what surrender meant i think a lot of people look at it as like giving up or like i'm weak and that's when i learned for me how surrender became strength and i mean the mechanics of how and the more that I surrendered my will, especially in step three of turning your will over God, that's the only thing that we can give to God. And so understanding that, and I would journal about it, about like what surrender really was. And it wasn't like any sense of giving up. It was 100% of, I'm giving you the keys, like show me how to use this, right? And he's like, I'm going to show you how to use this thing. It's incredible. And so all of a sudden, like direction revelation was showing up daily. And so the the um, excommunication process was immediate. Sure. And um, top five most beautiful experiences in my life. The amount of love in that room. And I looked forward to excommunication because then the clock could start. And for me, it was like going to the gym. And ARP was like a gym. And so step five was incredible. Step six um, of just this idea of hope for me is when that really started. And Ezekiel 36, 36, 36, I misquoted me, so forgive me. But the idea of letting... This do, better be a real scripture. Yeah. We're scrapping this whole thing. <laughs> Essentially is, uh, Somewhere give the Bible me your, your stony heart and I will give you a heart of flesh. Yeah. So let me back up just a bit. Over that, this kind of three-month period of not being welcome in my home, I was living with cousins, but my wife would have me come to our house to spend time with the kids and she would leave. And um, I went and visited. Her father had passed about seven years before, about five years ago. He and she and he had such a great relationship. You talked about him as a role model to you. Oh, man. Yeah. What a guy. He was a firefighter, a police officer, a pilot. He's the freaking man. Yeah, his chest hair was like, you know, ridiculous. (laughs) So I remember standing over his grave and just asking him, like, what would you do? And the thought just came to mind was serve her. So when she would leave, I went to town on service. Like everything in that home was sparkling with no expectation of anything in return. And she didn't say anything. Well, so that's a big one right there. I I just, I think so often as addicts, we're still trying to earn it. And we're trying to get the validation from the woman because I would do all of that. But I did not have the same intention you had. I was going to earn it. I was going to prove that I was worth being married to. I was going to prove that I was sorry. I was going to prove, you know, and so I I do these, you know, 
Well, huge acts maybe of service. If you, or... if you work hard enough and do enough, then maybe some of that anger will be curbed, and you can sleep tonight because you feel better about yourself. Yeah, or... oh, totally I, earning. I thought it. that yeah. prior. Totally yeah. earning. But so you're approaching this service like with no resentment, no expectation. Just as a gift, wow. straight up. Like, I don't care what you do with this. I love you. I have no expectation of anything in return, and I think honestly, that's big. That's huge. Well, I think that not having not having my best friend part of my life, if I could do anything from this moment forward, is I was going to give you everything that I am from today forward. And it doesn't matter if you stay married to me because you've earned it. And I will take care of you till you leave this earth. With every penny I've ever earned and will earn, it's yours. And I didn't matter anymore. Like, it wasn't interesting to me to think about anyone else and... I, f- I think I finally understood what love is. And I never had husband training. I never had love training. Like, I was taught that pornography was love. I was taught that really dirty things was love. And it's not in the slightest. Most women have the, they want to sit next to you and just be heard. They want to. It's about, yeah, connection. A, yeah. a real connection. Yes. And so, which if you didn't catch his meaning, what we learned from pornography is not real connection. Absolutely. So, <laughs> yeah. And and to be honest, I was relapsing still, like yeah. a week, two days, yeah. two weeks. But relapse with pornography. Yeah. Not, nothing's pornography. going on with any other women. No. But yeah. No. I had I had closed off everything, blocking things, and I'm throwing filters in, and like everything I could get my hands on, books, seminars, talks, like. Sponsors, I, I got as many sponsors as I can. I go to ARP a couple of times a week, and I was all in. I, I have a quick question. Uh, <clears throat> so many times, I mean, as an addict, you have this moment of, like, clarity, like, oh, I learned this new thing, and so I'm okay now, right? Like, you have this this uh, aha moment, right? And you have mm-hmm. so many of these aha moments, and then you keep relapsing. You're like, well, why, why isn't it working? I'm having all these aha moments. Why am I not getting fixed? Yeah. So I guess the question is, like, how did that change? Like, what did it what did it take for you for this these times of you relapsing while you're trying to figure all this out to recovery? Yeah, I uh, it was journaling my relapses, and I was going from five times a day to roughly like four to five hours of pornography to five, you know, acting out a day, and now I was like one a week, and I'm like, I am making progress. Look at me. Yeah. And I would congratulate myself, like, hey, it's been a week. Yeah, self-compassion. It's awesome. And I had a friend that would I would walk our dogs at night, and I'm like, I relapsed. And he's like, okay, like, what'd you learn? And I'm like, I, I, now I'm using the inventory as a tool. And um, using ARP as a tool, and I get into step seven and eight and nine, and I'm asking for forgiveness, and education is piling on. And, and now I'm actually excited. So looking at this momentum... Um, something was changing. I could feel me changing. I could feel me breathing. I could feel me um, being empathetic to my to everyone around me. Um, I couldn't wait to talk to people about it. And that's when statistics started hitting me that like 88% of men are either addicted now or have been at some point to pornography. And I'm like, that's everyone. Yes. Right? And so then it like, I'm like, okay, so we're all struggling, you know? And and my hunger for what was going on was skyrocketing. I would send emails to my wife about my recovery, no response. And it didn't matter, right? I just I was doing it. And But I guess like you're just such a good example of um I mean, I'd use my words of of battling for her heart. 
like you're still showing up for her, but not in a, I need you to validate me. Right. I need you to tell me that what I'm doing is enough or that I'm okay. Right. Because for me, that's been such a big struggle. And I know for so many men, that's such a big struggle of trying to get that validation from yeah. their spouse or the women in their life. And so just just beautiful, your story and the way you were able to kind of grab onto some of these truths of of showing up for her without just for that real connection and trying to offer that as opposed to trying to get that validation from yeah. her. Abstinence was helping at this point. Um, not having any type of sexual interaction, not not acting out, anything. And it was amazing how the longer the abstinence, it was so easy to not be interested in pornography. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, this is a real thing. You know, like yeah. abstinence is a thing. It wasn't on my mind. I wasn't yeah. triggered. Yeah. So my wife's starting to warm up, actually, being friendlier, you know. And uh, and I, I reached out to my buddy and I'm like, hey, um, you know, this things are going well. Our wives talk to each other. And sure. we're still married at this point. And my bishop's like, bruh, you're headed for divorce. And I'm like, I understand. She deserves it. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And she's going to get everything. And we're, how, what's the time frame now from when you were initially so we're kicked out of the house? we're three and a half months. Okay, like three and a half months. months. Okay. So um, anyway, uh, she sends me an email while I'm at a work event. And she's like, I just want to be clear. Like, we're done. Yeah. I Great. You're in recovery. I don't care. I'm filing, like, you need to get a for real place. Come pick up your stuff. And I was like, okay, okay, that's fine. So um, later that week, she calls me. She's saying, um, I have an appointment, and you'll be here with the kids. I'm like, okay, you know. And I didn't know she was going to meet with our bishop. And she left around 7 and came back around 1130, right? She walks in the door. I walk out the other. But I caught her, and her eyes were bloodshot red. And I'm like, I'm wanting to go help my friend. And I'm like, helpless. So I leave, and I'm all upset. Because you're trying to respect the boundaries. Totally. And, yeah. And they were real, man. Ooh, she was good at that. Well, um, and that, and that's... I'm going to give a lot of credit to her yeah, super on this. respect for her. Because a lot Big of times, time. or I'll get emails or have conversations with women, and I think they're surprised that I tell them that they should have boundaries. I think yeah. they think they're going to talk to me and be like, cut him some slack, recovery's hard, or whatever. But the truth is... Breaking patterns of codependency or that. I mean, I love your wife's not sitting here with us, but just her example of finally, because her just being overly nice and just letting you roll actually didn't help at all. No. But her really saying, I'm going to choose a happy and healthy life and whatever you do is not my problem. Right. Did help. And and that was interesting. Um, Her courage and her strength in this minute were so inspiring. Yeah, she did not budge, and I could see she was hurting. I could see she was yeah. frustrated. And anyway, um, probably a week later, um, I dropped my son off, and she's watching a movie, and and we're talking like friends. And uh, he goes to bed, and we're still talking. And then we stop talking. We start watching the movie. He comes upstairs, and he's like, "Hey, dad!" Da 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 da. And I'm like, "Okay." She pauses, and she's like, "We need bud." You know, and then he goes back down to bed and she pushes play. I'm not being kicked out at this point. And I'm like, what's happening, guys? Like, and I, my, like, I was like Twitter pated. Like, my, this, this girl is like, you know, my, my best friend's uh, interested in me. No way. Yeah. It was a really neat evening. And so, uh, movie was over and I was like, hey, this was fun. And she didn't say anything. The next night I come over and, uh, you know, drop the kids off, do dinner and everything. And, 
uh, I'm sitting on the stairs and she's on the couch and we're talking and talking and talking, you know, at this point, like my marriage is over. She's filing for divorce. Like I am aware of all those things and good with it and hoping that she has a, a future, you know, and that she can be happy and all that. And I just get this wild idea and I'm like, Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? You know? And she's like, eyebrow, like, why the heck? <laughs> Nothing you with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's, you know? yeah. she's like, uh, and yeah. I said, uh, do you want to maybe take the kids to a movie? And she's like, you need to leave. Right? I'm like, okay. I'm sorry for asking. I'll leave. No quarrel. So I, I reached out to a buddy, and I was really struggling with that because I reached out, and I was feeling like good things were happening. So we went and watched a movie. And as I'm leaving, I get an email from my wife. You mean you and your buddy going my, to watch My buddy are going to watch a movie. Yes. It's like 1130 on a Friday night. Yeah. And she says, why do you want to be married to me as the title of an email? And I'm like, what? Like, I didn't know that was an option. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I, I like as fast as my thumbs could fly, and I'm like, can I come back in? And she said, yeah. no, email me. I was like, movie's off, bro. <laughs> you know, I'm writing me an email. And so I wrote this email that was, I didn't think Google would allow me to send it, right? Um, and so uh, she responded um, at about 9 a.m. and she said, so, I mean, uh, email, dude, nice cliffhanger, bro. <laughs> so you're, I mean, the email, what did you say in the email? Just um, put your heart out there. Yeah, I mean, I have failed you. And here's how I have failed you. I'm aware of the things that have been wrong in my life. I'm on step, you know, nine right now. And here's what I'm learning. And I have no expectation of a response from you. You are my best friend. And I will be here in any way that you need. Right? I have no expectation of a response from this. I'm grateful for the years that we had, and I'm so sorry that I hurt you. I do want to spend eternity with you. I don't know what that looks like. I have no idea. But I'm, I'm at war with myself right now, and I'm going to need some time to figure out what that means. Win that war. Yeah. yeah. And so the next morning... Um, so that honesty is huge, right? And I just want to highlight that because I know with Kayla and, and Jason, I'm sure you can relate... It's not the behavior that's actually the biggest issue. No. It's the lack of trust and the honesty. Totally. And I don't know, Jason, if that's been your experience or... Well, <clears throat> here's the, the beauty of your story to me, Matt. Um, the whole idea that surrender to you, because this is what it really means, is like the idea that giving up your will to God is so terrifying because it's like, well, what if I get a divorce? What if my wife leaves me? What if... What if everything goes wrong? I get excommunicated. And well, you know, worst case scenario for everything for you, right? Yeah. But the idea that it doesn't matter because whatever happens, the Lord has something in store for me. Totally. And whatever that is, is what's best for me. Yeah. And that's the beauty of your story here is you have that true surrender. And I don't put quotation marks around that because this is real. The idea that it doesn't matter. Now, your story is beautiful in that has a happy ending, not to spoil too much, right? But, like, that doesn't happen for everybody. No, it doesn't. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a beautiful life for him. Totally. And, and that, and to me, that that was the part that, uh, that I see, even just hearing your story this far, you fully accepted. You accepted that God was going to have a beautiful life for your wife and for you and for your children, and you were willing to surrender what that life looked like. Sure. Instead of trying to control the outcome, no expectations are the words that you use. Because the expect, because like for me, I'll tell you, dude, you're better at this than I am. 
I've stumbled over expectations all the time that I, I do that honest recovery and things go well. And then not just even in my marriage and life in general, instead of surrendering that to God, I put expectations on it. I'm like, yeah. well, look what I did. Look at how sober I am. Look at this recovery I'm choosing. Yeah. Look at what I'm doing yeah. to help other men or whatever it is. And then I go, that should earn me X or that I should now be able to set expectations on your will. And um, I, I'm just touched at the way... Just keep going. I'm just, I'm just touched. I, <laughs> well, I think at this point, um, so you're there. We're still the three and a half months. Or, yeah, yeah. So this is yeah, all, like all happening tonight. Right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, she emails, she responds and says, we'll, "We'll do a matinee at ten thirty. And I'm like, "What?" And so we we <laughs> at the house at ten twenty nine. Like, how can I help? You know? And I'm so excited. And I text my buddy and I'm like, "Dude, we're going to a movie." And he's like, "What?" I'm like, "I know, right?" You know? And He's like, dude, be on your best behavior, you know? And I'm like, All right, you know, tie, you know, straighten my tie. And so she sits the kids to her left and an empty seat to her right in the theater. And uh, that began our coming back together. And the rest of that is super personal. But she is the bravest woman I have ever heard of to be willing to be hurt again. And our recovery was not simple. It's been messy. Um, it was not the last time I relapsed. Um, so I'm at six months right now. Awesome. Actually, no. January 15th was my last relapse. So I'm at nine months. But um, when I am triggered and something happens, like I am going to fix this. And I'm not going to fix this. I'm going to be honest so it can be fixed. And so the, what I've learned through the addiction recovery program, through um, dozens of books, uh, The Obstacle is the Way, Power of Habits, Atomic Habits. Um, and we'll, real, and we'll put some of these, you know, kind of your best yeah. resources, stuff you like, we'll put them on the blog, on the website, unashamedandafraid.com, when we post this. So people who want those resources, we'll put them on there. Yeah. And we'll edit this part out, but Steve, he's a Brene Brown fan too. So you'll oh, yeah. dope. Yeah. Yeah. Brene Brown is huge fan. Yeah. Um, what's interesting. Edit out Brene Brown. Come on. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've actually learned a lot about vulnerability. And if, if you can take a couple steps back um, and look at like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, when our basic needs aren't being met, we do terrible things to get them met. Yeah. And realizing I didn't trust anyone, I didn't feel safe anywhere. And so mm-hmm. I went and found ways to feel loved and feel safe. You can't do aspirational things. You can't become anything if you don't feel safe. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, I had created my own situation. And so now I felt safe. Now I felt loved. And, and when I was welcomed back as a member of the church... That was a beautiful experience. But I was, every day was journaling and reading and journaling and reading. And little bits of stuff were coming through. Mm -hmm. And my wife could witness this happening. And when she said, I can see you changing, it it wasn't like a milestone I hit. I was like, I'm not done yet. Like, you you still deserve more. I still have no expectation from you. And our marriage is better now than it has ever been. Our friendship now is better now than it has ever been. And I know it's because I'm still surrendering because I don't have the answers. I know who does. 
And so I... God, if you've missed the uh, inference <laughs> across this last hour, just um, in case. And, you know, there, there are days I look down at my hands and I'm like, he designed these cool things. Yeah. Because they look just like his. And he knows exactly how I feel. Because he has all the same struggles that I have. And he sent his son down to understand them again. Right? And it still comes back down to repetition for me. Yeah. And that's, that's where I'm finding my change is these deep things. And I look at if my wife and I had not worked out, right? Um, both probably would have remarried um, and we would have had to start over. But the forgiveness that has come from her willingness to be hurt again has taken our marriage to a place that I didn't think was possible. And I'm finally beginning to understand what it means to be a husband. I don't matter. I really don't. And from her side, she feels like, and it's not that I don't matter, I'm not worth anything, but she gets 100% of me, all. Yeah. And I get so excited about that. I look forward to it. I, I can't wait to do the dishes and clean the house and do the laundry in the yard and provide. And... Well, I think it's your intent, right? Like the, the intent right. has changed, right? That it's not, it's not a validation thing. It's, it's, it's a connection thing, right? Right. And, um, and, that, and that's what I hear coming up in theme across your whole story, right, is it's, it's, you're there because you really want to be there. Right. And, and, and I think even as addicts, sometimes we just try and, like, like let's just fix this. Let's just make this go away. And so we start doing things. You know, I've talked to several addicts. I'm like, do you want to be married? Right. And they're like, I never thought about it. I'm like, do you want to be active in the church? Like, do you right. want... And, and not because I don't think they shouldn't be married or they should be active in the church, but I'm like, you can't do all this stuff because you're doing it for someone else or because you want to say that if I do the right things, then I'll be happy. It's kind of half why you ended up here because you're, you're checking the boxes that, you know, let or no spirit. And, and so to me, that's the difference that I feel sitting here with you and your share is the spirit of those actions is, is different than it was when you were a, you know, 18 year old kid saying, yeah. I'm going to raise my daughter and screw her when I can beat the odds. Cause yeah. the actions were probably still there. Like you've always probably been that person on that level, but the, but the motivation was the to motivation. get their buy off. Like, Oh, he's right. amazing. Right. Yeah. Like, and I, I would agree with that. And so, um, I will say that this whole time, the temptations are still there. The sure. triggers are everywhere. Um, my wife's when she pulls away, man, do I struggle. She, we had an interesting thing. She gave me like a tracker and I would know where she was and access to stuff. And um, that actually made it worse because now I was spying, right? Mm -hmm. And actually just like two and a half months ago, I was like, I don't want to know where you are. I don't know what you're spending on. Like, I don't want to be codependent. Although it sounds so tempting. It does. It sounds delicious. Yeah. And it was funny because like um, she still struggles a lot. And uh, when it happened, I remember... Well, I mean, it's still, you know, I mean, your process is still... I mean, you're down the road in recovery, you're doing great things, but there's so much healing to stop, and there's so much goodness to still come together, right? Someone described it really well. They said, you didn't just hurt her. You shot a cannon through her chest. Yeah, oh yeah, yep. Like, she's going to have to have new parts that don't understand each other. And she does her recovery in her own way. She can't even go to a group and talk about it. Um, she's proud of me. She loves me. I know she does. I'm very excited about our future, but I still weep for what I did. I still, 
Hurt, I'm not ashamed. I have been forgiven. I am accepted. The Lord has accepted me. I have had my priesthood restored. Um, I've learned so much from temple ordinances, repetition, repetition, that what she has is, is her journey. And what I have is my journey. And I have to accept that it's her timing. It's her, that some days she comes home and she's like, I can't be around you. And I'm like, no problem. It still hurts. I'm still sad. I still cry, you know. And, but they're more of like, I want to help you versus shame. And I, and I allow shame to come in, right? And I, I have to consciously be like, no, you know. And because no matter like, I hear people say like, well, what app are you using? And what technology are you using? And like, none of those things will ever actually change you. They're great helps. But do you trust God? Do you surrender for, to, for his strength? Do you, I mean, there are things that are very easy to say, but until you practice them, you'll never understand what they mean. And I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to. I'm very grateful that my wife could see the future. Part of me regrets what happened. And this is going to sound weird because I heard somebody say once, um, you know, I wish I could take it all back. And I actually don't. I don't think that sounds weird at all. I don't. Well, and um, somebody said something that I've thought about again and again, and they said, um, isn't it interesting that we're blessed with weakness? Yeah. And had I not had this addiction, and had I not had a mom that has crazy trauma, like if you think about it, if we believe in premortal existence, I picked her. Three of those kids were in the ground when I picked her. However that timing works out, I don't understand it. It doesn't matter. Um. I My wife right now is like, dude, invite him and his wife over and let's watch Saturday's Warrior. By the way, she's <laughs> right. It all makes sense yes. then. <laughs> but um, the relationship I have with yeah, my the savior, path God has put you yeah. on and the and, and the and the people and the home you were raised in everything. Yeah, he's had purpose in. I would not be in this place today had I not like completely imploded. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've had aunts and uncles. Like, how did you do it? Mm-hmm. My yeah. my father. When your father looks you in the eye and says, I'm addicted to. Yeah. And you're like this, you see this young boy across the table that's like, yeah. you know, and I just, I'm like, dad, like, I got you, you know? Yeah. And, but for me, it's interesting that through this program where men come and they're vulnerable and they're like, I'm suffering too. I'm being triggered, you know, and they, they blame Satan, they blame this and, Demons kind of exist in us. I never thought that while I was here that I would literally be fighting demons. Like arm in arm with other brothers in the priesthood. And that's, it opens my eyes to like, you have your, your personal struggles, you have relationship struggles. And there really is something on the other side of the veil trying to get you to fail. And that's, that's hard to like bring into like a day-to-day. Well, President Nelson would back you up on that. Because yeah. I would say, generally speaking, as Latter-day Saints, we don't actually believe the devil's real. Right. He's a fictional character. Um, and like culturally, we don't. But sure. doctrinally, I mean, in the, is the priesthood session last conference, President Nelson right, yeah. said, he's quadrupling his minions, was the quote. And I remember thinking to myself, like, well, in order for him to quadruple them, there had to be one's... Yeah. There, so I, I think you're uh, at least in this audience. You're, I mean, you're 100 percent spot on. That makes that makes perfect sense. So I have one question, just kind of bring it back to the beginning here and wrap yeah. it all up. Um, 
we talked before kind of about um, these people in your life that, you know, oh, she's crazy or, you know, they have all this trauma and you wonder, you know, why do they make the choices they make? Why do you make the choices you make? And, you know, growing up, you have this wonderment of why, right? Mm-hmm. How has your perception of how God feels about these people changed? Like, to to me, that's part of the, the deep healing there, right? Like, we're talking about the steps. Let's talk about steps six, seven, eight, and nine. Yeah. Right? I mean, the idea of, like, being able to forgive these people and see them the way God sees them, right? I mean, it's yeah. like, how has that changed for you? And maybe we'll wrap up on that. You know, how has your, how has Christ aided you in your healing in relation to these other people? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, the idea that we are all hardwired for failure so that we could understand how the Savior's atonement works in our lives is that we were sent down here to fail. To fail. Right? And it, it's not if, it's how. Right? And everyone is going to fail differently for for their soul, for their journey with their relationship with the Savior. And I realized, you know, that like I'm not done failing, I'm not done learning, and that failing is actually the doorstep of education. And and that's yeah. when I think of my mom, when I think of anyone going through this, that like it is okay to fail because we are all doing it in one way or another, if it's tithing or pride or, or whatever it is. And oh, yeah. so... I know that I had those failures, and I'm going to have some new failures, but I don't look at them with fear or trepidation. When I think of my mom um, and this journey from when things started to today, um, it's it's definitely hard for some people to have empathy, but I, I don't. And I know that when everyone thinks of what they're doing... Meaning with, you don't have a hard time having empathy. No, I, I used to for sure. Right. And now I look forward to it. I, yes. I see it in people's eyes and... When I am so excited to share my story with them, and I lead out, and I'm like, I want to share something with you. Like, I, you know, I'm in recovery to addiction from pornography, and like, without question, they jump right into blah, whatever it is they're dealing with. And yeah, yeah. Someone has to start well, that. There's vulnerability. your step twelve, right? Yep. Since we're talking about steps, totally. Here. Yeah. totally. Well, and I think you know, this is always the last question I ask everyone, but I think to frame you help. So, never, no therapy. Oh no no no. So I have uh, multiple therapists. Okay, yeah. so doing doing some therapy, but the twelve steps is the big mountain mover for you, right? Been a big thing, mm-hmm. yeah. Right? Um, I'm not a real big twelve stepper. I've shared that before here. I I don't. I'm not anti the twelve steps by any means, but for me, it hasn't been. I think what's been for you. So we have very different stories. You've di- a different story than everyone else. We've kind of shared, and so I think this question is is always relevant. Because everyone's experience is really different. Yeah. Um, you know, you're you've had a ton of we talked failure, success, right? I don't think it all has to be that black and white, but you've had a I would say you've had a ton of healing. Yes. And you're on the path of healing, and I think your wife's on the path of healing. God's doing something really incredible with your lives. Would be the label I would put on you if there's label. Um, <laughs> and so my question I always ask is, um, has it been worth it? Making the choices and doing because, and I was, I was, I was like, everyone's always like, yeah, it is. And I'm like, no, no, think about what I'm saying. Because what I know is those moments you still have with your wife that are really hard when you feel abandonment, 
I know that stuff with your mom is still really hard and with your siblings and with your dad and all these touch points you brought up in your story, like it's not fixed. Your no. life's not just better. And because this is what people want. They enter recovery saying, I just want to check these boxes, take whatever pill, do whatever exercise. And then my life is just done. It's better. It's over. And then they get in recovery and find out their life isn't going to change. All, all the stuff, you know, they're not going to get the perfect job, have the yeah. perfect area. It's not all going to work out. But then they, you know, they look at people like you, right? Or I have Chris on here all the time who has 11 years of sobriety. And it's like, man, like, seems really hard to not have life be perfect because they just, they haven't had the healing that you felt. So I know it, it has been really hard for you and it continues to be hard. So, you know, no, no pulling punches, no, get brutally honest with me. Has it really been worth it? This has been the hardest thing I've ever done, and it has absolutely been worth it because of the ongoing education. When I, when I got my priesthood back, I was given a blessing that night, and I had a vision that was three-quarters of a second, and it was everything I had ever wanted to have with God. And in that moment, I knew He lived. I cannot take that back. I know what I saw, and it was for me. It is not for anyone else. And that creates destination, right? And I know that by listening, that new instructions are coming. I know that I'm not done learning. And so what's worth it to me is whatever that is. And my wife and I actually talked about this the other day. We got in the dumbest fight. We were both hangry. Had a good laugh about it. We even have a plaque up in our kitchen about Dude, hangry's like, real. That oh, happens yeah. in the Shields house. <laughs> and I just, I'm still very sensitive to when she gets upset. I have yeah. a tremendous amount of trauma of being kicked out of my home. Yeah. I sat her down and I was like, are, are we still good? Like, are, are we still going the same place? And she was like, excuse me? Of course we are. And I'm like, no, no, no. Do we have the same destination? And she's like, that's the only reason I'm here. Is I believe in this future us that either of us understand. And so I get chills the idea that I'm going to go there with my best friend. And so worth it. Um, I don't think I'm done getting um, like sure. broken and taken apart and re-put back together sure. again. And so the 12 step is the gym for me. So the last question I'll ask you and, and we'll let you out of here is um, for, for that guy who's listening, who just isn't buying it and says, wow, that is really great for you and I'm glad it's working out for you but it's not going to work out for me my story is not your story I'm the guy who I am bad not I've done something bad if he was sitting here with us right now what would you tell him man that's heavy I usually respond with a question why do you believe that And I remember my counselor asking me, he said, what are your core beliefs about yourself? And I was like, I'm a child of God. I'm a worthy husband and father. And he said, no, 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 no. What do you believe about yourself? And it took us months. I believe that I'm ugly. I believe that I'm worthless. I believe that I'm not worth being loved. And I would look across the table at that person and know they couldn't answer that. I don't know what I would say to them, to be honest with you. I would just want to listen um, because someone listened to me and continue listening to them and, and just befriend them. For me, I know that I was headed for hell. I was headed for divorce. I was headed for everything. And I have watched miracle after miracle 
literally descend from heaven to show me my potential, to show me my celestial destination. God has shown me his mighty hand because he loves me. He is my father and my savior is my homie. We are friends and I enjoy that relationship. And so having sponsored about 50 guys over the last three and a half years, I don't, I honestly don't know how to fire one answer off because I've helped dudes with that have homosexual tendencies and I'm their sponsor. And I have guys that are, have different kinds of things. And I, I wish I could respond to that other than I would just want to sit and listen to them and just welcome them and know that they're loved. Yeah, well, and, and they are loved, and and God will listen for sure. And, and like you and like me and like Jason, he'll, he'll put people in their life to, to listen, and it's there, whether it's through the ARP, it's free. You can look it up. We'll put that on there. Have it on our resources page, have for a long time, or uh, SA Lifeline. There's call-in ones, right? There's online. There's no. There's a free meeting literally with probably within an hour of you listening to this. So um, totally encourage that. Matt, thanks for sharing your heart, man. Thanks for having me. It's been and, awesome. And sharing your story. Um, grateful for everyone who's been able to listen. We hope, you know, that this story has resonated with you, or if you know anyone specifically it will resonate with, we we hope that you'll share it. Um, so we always invite everyone, um, you know, music is, is a big thing and, and oftentimes connects and and makes a really big difference. And um, so what we always invite everyone, we love to end when people share their story, we like to end with a song, whatever song has been inspirational and touched them. So do you have a song? Um, I, uh, I'm i a Spotify guy, so I have like 13,200 songs. You get one. Shoot. Um, the one that has meant to most to me is uh, Eric Whitaker, um, Impossible Magnitude. And it's just a score. It's a piece. I'm more of a soundtrack guy when I'm... It's awesome. You know? We'll and, take uh, it. That one's I special. love Eric Whitaker. Yeah. It, uh, it, it connects to the vision that I had in that priesthood blessing very, very specifically. And I didn't hear the song until a year and a half later. And it's so awesome. for me, it, it connects those dots. And I get weepy-eyed when I listen to it just because I, I feel love again. I feel, I feel love for my Savior who's given Matt direction for his spouse for his family and so that song connects perfectly to that vision that's awesome man and again i want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story with us um you you've touched my heart for sure so and i think that you'll touch many um you know we appreciate you again uh give us a like give us a thumbs up you can comment to matt we'll give him that comment um we invite you to follow us on instagram facebook at unashamed unafraid um, if you have a question, you can ask us our anonymous questions, or if you have a great recovery story, let us know, send us an email. Um, we love you. There's hope. There's tons of resources. And, uh, between now and, and when we talk again, we, we hope that you can be unashamed and unafraid and we will leave you with, and this, this is the first time someone actually has done a score. Yeah. So this is like, this is great. So we're going to end with that score by Eric.